And welcome back into another edition of the Stanford Football Insider Show. I'm Nikki Sullivan, joined by Vihan Lachman. Vihan, you and I both finished up finals week for fall quarter. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, feels good, and feels good to be back in the studio. It's been a while, but excited to preview the Sun Bowl coming up and... Yeah, being done with fall quarter just went by super fast, just like this whole football season. Can't believe we know we're already talking about bowl games and such already. Feels like just yesterday we were walking up to the press booth before the Kansas State game in early September to get the season started. A lot has happened since then, and a lot has happened since we last had a podcast. Most notably, the biggest news that has broke over the past few weeks is that this was indeed Christian McCaffrey's last season in a Stanford Cardinal uniform. He has declared early for the NFL draft. He had one more year of eligibility if he wanted it, but he has made the decision to move on. Vihan, what were your initial reactions to this? You know, I was surprised by how unsurprised I was by the news. I think we had talked offline about he really hadn't, you know, given any indication one way or the other. He had kept things pretty, you know, close to the vest. He wasn't really going to make any overtures that would be a distraction to the team. But at the end of the day, when he made his decision, it, you know, became pretty, pretty clear. And I think I kind of realized, too, that this is the way things were going. When you consider the fact that he, you know, comes from an NFL family, his dad played the league so long, you know, he obviously, this has been his lifelong aspiration. He said that himself. He said ever since he was six years old, every goal he's ever written down has included being in the NFL as one of those in that list. So when you consider the fact that he has an opportunity and as both Coach Shaw said, he said there's no more he can put on film. So it makes sense. It's definitely a huge bummer for Stanford when you think about losing what some might you know reasonably argue is the best player ever to put on a cardinal and white uniform it's a big loss but they've got a lot of talent coming in and i think the nice thing about him announcing it now he said he did it because he didn't want this to be a lingering question that he gets asked you know leading up to the bulls but now you know we get a little bit of closure in the sense that we know down in el paso that's going to be his last game we can treat it that way and we can appreciate christian mccaffrey in a stanford uniform one last time without without any doubt and just go out with a bang that way Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think it was the same thing for me. Like looking back, I was like, wow, this was so obvious. How did we not all see this coming? And I think part of that just sets up because he is kind of the unique player that it made perfect sense no matter what he did. Like the goal to play in the NFL, that seems perfect for him. Like obviously he should go. But also I think it would have made perfect sense if he had stayed because, you know, he is kind of more of like the, the academic studious type. That's what his family has preached a little bit. You know, his mom tweeted out, tweeted back at him after he announced it formally via Twitter that he was going to declare saying, don't forget to go back and get your degree. That was hilarious. So she clearly, you know, that's clearly still there in the family. And that's something that he obviously wants to go back. That was something that he added in. He was like, I will be back to get my degree. I don't know when I will be back. There's no question there. So I think it, it would have made sense either way. And it was almost too logical for both both directions. But it can't be surprising that he went. I mean, it just seemed to be kind of slowly tilting that way more and more. Just in, I think, in my mind, if not in he, like you said, he made no public statement whatsoever. He's just like, I'm focused on the next game. You know, it was very, very. I'm not going to say anything. But the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like the reasons that he would have stayed were more reasons that I wanted him to stay, and the reasons that he would go were more reasons that made sense for him to leave. Yeah, and honestly, on one hand, you can you can be disappointed that Stanford's not going to get another year of Christian McCaffrey. Or you can look at it from the other side and think that if he were allowed 
to leave last year, he probably would have gone. So in a sense, this year was a bit of a bonus year of McCaffrey, and we were able to get that. He got over the 2,000 all-purpose yard plateau once again. He had another great season, even though in the national picture, everyone just kind of forgot about him once Stanford lost those two games to the Washington schools. He had a good year. I think ultimately in the NFL, he's he's just such a talented football player. I think, you know, I don't know what he's going to play, but he can play ball. So that's the, that's the at the end of the day, that's what's going to happen. I think he, he's going to find a role. One thing is with how many talented running backs there are in this class, I thought maybe that might give him some second thoughts. Maybe he could wait a year and go even higher. But ultimately, when as he said, when that opportunity is just right in front of you, those little things like that probably don't matter that much. Yeah, he's he's probably not that concerned as to where he'd go. And it also seems like he's the type of guy who still a good thing of NFL teams don't trust as a quote-unquote true every-down back, which I think to us is still a little surprising given how we've seen him run as a true every-down back. But he doesn't look like Leonard Fournette. He doesn't you know, look like just a man carved out of marble, practically, <laughs> who looks like he's built to bowl over opposing teams. Even if we've seen him run every-down, I think some NFL teams don't see him as that. So it would be hard for me to see him being that high of a pick. Kind of the back half of the first round seems like a pretty reasonable destination. This year, maybe early in the second round, because there's slightly more, but that just doesn't seem like a big enough deal for him. The one other good thing about this for Stanford, the silver lining, is that the Cardinal have Bryce Love ready and waiting in the wings to take over. Obviously, he had the one start this year against Notre Dame, ran for 129 yards or something like that, had a very solid game. Definitely some places where he is lesser than McCaffrey, there's no doubt about that, given that McCaffrey, like you said, might be the best Stanford player ever. But it's not as big a step down as it would be for most teams. Yeah, you got to be excited about Bryce Love. Every time he touches the ball, you know, you legitimately think he could make something spectacular happen. Same with McCaffrey, but with Love, I think he's got even more speed to add to the equation too. He's got he doesn't do some things like McCaffrey, but he might do some things even better. So, and when you factor in the fact that Cameron Scarlett's coming back, he showed some flashes this year, especially against Oregon. Trevor Spates will have that red shirt burned. He all he did was set the Texas high school rushing record. So, and honestly, I think that if Stanford wasn't so deep at running back with McCaffrey, Love, and Scarlett, we probably would have seen Spates too this year in some capacity. So, I'm high on him too. I, the future looks bright. As as I said, they've recruited a lot of talent on this team. Certainly doesn't you know mean that they can fully replace someone like Christian McCaffrey, but. Will Stanford just fall off the cliff when they lose one player? I don't think so. But And it would be fun to see what Bryce Love can do with more carries because he, I think, was a bit limited in his touches this year just by the fact that when you have Christian McCaffrey and he works that hard and he can take on that load, you gotta you got to feed it to him. Yeah, you're going to rely on Christian McCaffrey. The one other shoe that Stanford is waiting to drop is Solomon Thomas. Mm-hmm. He's the other big name for Stanford that could declare for the NFL draft, is being touted as a potential first-round pick as well. He's a little different than McCaffrey. He's a redshirt sophomore, so he does still have those that third-year eligibility. Are you expecting him to go? What are your thoughts on that? And then how big a deal is that for Stanford, especially compared to McCaffrey leaving? That's a good question. That one's also very hard to read, I think. I think he's probably going to go, especially because you've seen all the recent accolades that's, that have come his way. He won the Morris Trophy, which was given to the best defensive lineman. They give one offensive defensive award. He won the defensive one. Josh Garnett won the offensive one last year. So a lot of strong Stanford lineage with that award in recent years. And that's voted on by 
the his his peers, his opposing Pac-12 offensive linemen. So that's pretty high praise. So he he got that also. Pro Football Focus just rated him one of the top run-stopping defensive linemen in the country. He obviously grades very well. He's such a great athlete. I think once he gets those evaluations in, I. He's probably going to like what he sees and make the jump. That's my guess. With that being said, maybe he will you know, think it over and decide to come back and put more on film. That's going to be what it comes down for Solomon, too. McCaffrey said, I've done all I can. I'm ready to go. If, if Solly thinks that he can put more on film in the next year and go even higher, then I could see him coming back. But right now, it seems like with the season he had, it makes a lot of sense for, for him to go, too. And to answer your second part of the question, that's a pretty devastating blow. He did so much for this defensive line, for this defense as a whole. You and I called him, you know, one of maybe, if not the number one, maybe top two most important players on that defense for all he did. Especially when you saw him go out of the game, it just seemed like the defense just took a huge drop down in level. They've got some talented freshmen on that defensive line who might be able to come in, but I doubt they're going to be able to plug in that sort of those sort of shoes right away. So it could be a bit of an adjustment too. If he does come back, you know, you're talking about a defense that could be truly elite next year. But we'll see. He's as Coach Shaw said, he's being very systematic about it, meaning that he's you know weighing the pros and cons. He's waiting to get all the information he can. I just feel like once he gets that information, he's going to see that he's going to be a very high draft pick. Yeah, it feels like a similar situation to Christian McCaffrey where, like, I can come up with a lot of reasons why I think he should stay, but from his perspective, it seems like he's got to go. He doesn't have the stats that pop off the page as much as some other people, at least the conventional stats, seven sacks, 13 tackles for loss. They're good numbers, but they're more in kind of the 20th to 30th in the country instead of the top 10 in the country that really gets your attention, like you know, the type of season that a guy like Jonathan Allen or Miles Garrett puts up. Right. So it's it's a different thing there, but... It just seems like NFL teams are getting smarter. They're not just there aren't that many Al Davises anymore who are just looking at how fast you run or how big you are in the combine and drafting based off that. Those college scouts are reading Pro Football Focus. They're watching all the games and they're seeing how good Solomon Thomas is. And I agree that it just makes more sense for him to go now. Yeah. Well, here here's a conspiracy theory. You know, Solomon Thomas lived in Australia for five years. Stanford just scheduled the opener <laughs> next year against Australia. I asked Solomon beginning of the season, you know, when you see Cal playing down under, what what goes through my mind? He's like, oh, that makes me so excited. I wish we could do that. You know, maybe, you know, that's the little carrot. Right. And, and, but no, I'm totally kidding. That's <laughs> that's the worst reason possible to come back. But uh, anyway, we're going to talk about that game in a little bit. I, he's He had an outstanding year, too. The jump he made from last year as a first-time starter to, to now is huge. So maybe if he asks himself if he can make that same sort of development under Shannon Turley and Dyron Reynolds and Lance Anderson, and the fact that this year's defensive line class is also, you know, so loaded. You mentioned Miles Garrett and Jonathan Allen, for example. Maybe he thinks he could be one of those guys next year. That's the thing with, with defensive linemen, especially. If you're really, really good in that elite group, you could break into the top 10 potentially. If he feels like uh, with another year he could be in that category, maybe it makes sense financially and all of that to come back. But at this point, We'll see where he falls, but I, I just have a feeling that he's leaning that way. And in terms of you know other guys on the team, I think in terms of third and fourth year players who might make the jump, who else do you think could be someone weighing that decision? I thought before the season that Peter Kalambai, this would be his last year, but 
He statistically had a bit of a down year. He had that great game against Cal, but otherwise didn't really have the numbers that popped off the page. Stanford's outside linebackers in general didn't have quite as productive of a season in terms of numbers as we're used to seeing. So I think he might be a bit more on the fence than maybe I anticipated at the beginning of the season. Then otherwise, I don't know, who else do you think could be weighing a decision or is it just pretty much McCaffrey and Thomas at this point? I mean, I, I agree. It seems like it's pretty much McCaffrey and Thomas. There just aren't that many other guys. Kalambaya was really the one that I was thinking. He might have a big season. He might break out, and maybe he goes. But like you said, he had the good game against Cal. He had the great game against Kansas State in the opener. And outside of that, he just didn't do much. It was kind of a similar season to last year where he's he showed those flashes of what he could be, but just never put it all together in a way that made you really think this guy could be a star at the next level. Um, I just can't imagine that he would go at this point. It doesn't seem like it would make sense for him. Um, he, he just didn't do enough. And if, I mean, if you look elsewhere down the roster, like if you just look at the top defenders, some guys are done regardless. A guy like Dallas Lloyd, he doesn't have any more eligibility. Um, a guy like Zach Hoffpower in the secondary, he's out of eligibility. Rector's done. Rector's out Casper's of eligibility. Is done. Casper's. I mean. None of the offensive linemen played well enough to really make you think that they would consider leaving. Um, but then like a guy like Bryce Love can't leave yet. A guy like Trent Nerwin can't leave yet. The quarterbacks obviously aren't going to leave. The big names along the defense, it's guys like Quentin Meeks, who's a true sophomore, so he can't go. Justin Reed can't go. I don't think you see Alfieri going. I mean, it, that's an outside shot maybe and that's mostly because he's friends with Solomon Thomas and Christian McCaffrey they're actually all part of kind of a tight group so maybe Alfieri makes a rash decision but it just doesn't seem like there's that many reasonable options for Stanford of guys who it would make sense to declare now yeah very different from last year when we were having all sorts of speculation about will Hooper stay or go will Rector stay or go and all of that stuff this year it seems yeah pretty much clear-cut we know they're about these two guys, well, now just one, McCaffrey has taken that suspense out of the equation. So, And I don't think it's really a function of the season Stanford had either. You might argue that they had a great run last season, so people thought they could strike while the iron was hot versus this year maybe less. So I think it's more to do with the fact that this was such a young team. You mentioned all of their talented playmakers who you know could be some people who uh, make the jump to the NFL in coming years. They're all like sophomores and freshmen right now. So I think that more than anything has to do with where where we are with that conversation right now. And and that just makes it so exciting. If Solomon Thomas comes back, like you said, this defense could be very, very good. It's a defense that gave up 20 points a game this year. That's 17th in the country. And... I mean, that's counting the pair of games against the Washington schools, which were probably the two best offenses that Stanford faced. Mm -hmm. But their offenses that Stanford faced without Quentin Meeks, without Elijah Holder, their top two cornerbacks, who will both be back next year. I mean, I don't think those were the difference between Stanford winning and losing those games. But those two guys might be the difference between Stanford losing by 30 and Stanford losing by a touchdown or two and making it a close game. And those were the only times where the Stanford defense really struggled all season long. I don't think you can point to another game where the Stanford defense had a bad game. The other games where they gave up a lot of points are like the games against Oregon, where Stanford was just up huge and put in the second and third teamers, and Oregon scored a couple late. So if Solomon Thomas comes back, just the depth at every level of this defense, they could be scary good. Yeah, you mentioned the secondary could morph into the new addition of the no-fly zone. I'm very high on Justin Reed you know, coming in as a starting safety next year. And then up front, Harrison Phillips. We didn't mention him in the NFL draft conversation. He could be another 
I would be I'll be surprised, but it could happen. But assuming he comes back, and if Solly comes back, and you get year two Dylan Jackson, plus if at least one of those four freshmen is able to crack into the rotation, that's a pretty good group. And the linebackers emerged this year too. So, yeah, like we talked about, they could you know be a force to be reckoned with on the defensive side. And if not, you know, it's it's not going to be I think truly elite. But the question is if somebody can step up and plug that hole for Solomon Thomas, and they could still be they could still be pretty good next year too up front. It's just, but you're right. I think in terms of Losing McCaffrey, you have Bryce Love. You feel like there's a gap, but it's not that big of a gap. On the other side, with the defensive line, there could be a bit more of a sizable gap, as we talked about. Yeah, mostly just because you need more defensive linemen. I think Solomon Thomas to Harrison Phillips is kind of similar to Christian McCaffrey to Bryce Love. I think Harry, you have to agree, is not as transcendent a talent as Solomon Thomas is right now, but he has a lot of potential to be really good. He was second on the team with six and a half sacks this year, which is impressive because he was really playing the defensive tackle position for the Cardinal. He's not as good as Solomon Thomas, but the problem along the defensive line is you can't just plug in one running back for the other. You need to also find one or ideally two more defensive linemen to fill in there because that was one of Stanford's biggest problems this year. They were playing with basically two down linemen a lot of the time. Dylan Jackson was kind of in there a fair amount, but he just didn't seem to show enough development this year. And he'll have another entire offseason to get bigger, get more strength on that frame. He has a He's a huge guy that I think still has time to fill in with a little more muscle. And he could be a key piece next year, plus those freshmen. It's just finding some combination of that kind of crew of people to help just just fill in the holes, fill in the cracks that there's going to be when you lose a guy like Solomon Thomas, if you lose a guy like Solomon Thomas. Yeah, and I, I think John Wilner of the uh, San Jose Mercury News uh, uh, tweeted this out, but and it, it got me thinking. He said Christian McCaffrey and Solomon Thomas are probably the two best Stanford players in school history at their respective positions, and they're playing right now. Do you agree or disagree with that? Wow. I think McCaffrey at running back, that's got to be a given. Oh, that's an easy I, one. Th- yeah. That is just, there's no one close to him. I mean, he's he's got to be in the discussion of best college running backs ever. Maybe not in true just running back, but just a running back who can do everything there's no one who's had the career that he has the last two years he has more all-purpose yardage than anyone has ever had over a two-year span 6,191 yards all-purpose over a two-year span and the fbs record is 7,000 something so he he almost got there in two years yeah that's that's unreal that's only a couple hundred yards away from dubbed from doing the previous record barry sanders 3250 twice in a row which is just mind-boggling. I think we don't appreciate that enough, just how incredible his run has been. Um, but but I think he has to be the best running back. Solomon Thomas, I have a hard time buying that as any kind of clarity yet, partially because what position does he play for Stanford? It's kind of a defensive end, defensive tackle hybrid position. He's not the true defensive tackle just standing in the middle as a pure run-stopper kind of similar to what David Perry was a few years ago for Stanford. But he's not a true just edge-rushing defensive end who's just pinning his ears back and going at the quarterbacks. I just have a hard time. I don't know as much of Stanford's history at that position, but even just thinking recently, look at the talent that Stanford has along the defensive line just in the NFL right now. A guy like Trent Murphy who had a very good career at Stanford. A guy like David Perry who's had a good career at Stanford and is now having a good career in the NFL. Guys like Josh Morrow, who are kind of secondary NFL players right now, but still were very good at Stanford. There's a lot of talent along the defensive line, even in the last few years. Thomas could be, but I don't know that if I buy it as a certainty yet. Yeah, 
I agree. But he's in that he's in that conversation. He's in that top five discussion, which is And that's that's yeah. really the point of that. It's yeah. not to be clear whether or not he's the best. The fact that he's in that conversation just shows you how good a player he is. Yeah. Tells you something about how really, really good he is. And in only his set as I mentioned, he's only his second year of playing college football after taking that red shirt year one. So let's get on to one of the other things that you pointed out when discussing Solomon Thomas, the fact that Stanford is opening next season in Australia in what is a home game for Rice University of Houston, Texas. You know, it's it, te- Houston's pretty down south, you know, southern hemisphere. <laughs> it's like, it, it sort of works out, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Stanford would have, would have, you said this what we were talking about offline, would they have agreed to it if uh, they had to lose a home game in the process? Because now they get to travel and it's... Week one, so you're not exactly, you know, like jet lag isn't going to be an issue rest of the season. So a lot of things working out. You wonder, do you think Stanford was just jealous of Cal for going last <laughs> year and decided to make the move? I mean, given what we saw at the last few Stanford home games, they're not really going to have that much difference in true fans at a game in Australia against a game here. I mean, how many people were there in the stands for Rice? It was not the announced 41,000 or whatever Stanford claimed. It was, yeah, it was some number like that. It was, yeah. We're in a we're in a post fact world, you know, forty one thousand <laughs> The word of twenty sixteen used in our football podcast. I like it though. I mean, it's a good chance. It's it makes sense at the beginning of the season. I don't think it makes sense any other time. I still don't like the fact that like the NFL plays in London during the season because that's just got to be such a pain for the players to have to go across the pond for a game. Uh, and just your body must be entirely screwed up. But I think it does make some sense at the beginning of the year. You've got plenty of time. As long as, you know, Hawaii had to come back and play Michigan the next week, which that's insane. Mm -hmm. But as long as I'm assuming they'll do a similar thing where it'll kind of be it won't be the first weekend. It'll be maybe a week before the first weekend. So you almost have a double bye week. That makes perfect sense to me. And yeah, why not? Yeah. Especially because we we hear Coach Shaw talk every year about how college football doesn't have a preseason. So you never really know what you have until week one when you get blindsided by Northwestern. But if you get to play Rice a week earlier... Now, you know, with all due respect to Rice, that, you know, could be considered like a bit of a preseason game because, you know, Rice isn't the most talented team on your schedule in all likelihood. And then you just get that game in, you see what you got, and then you get that extra week to prepare and get going. And presumably Stanford week two will be at USC. If I had to guess, that slot is open right now. But, you know, they like to play USC early scheduling wise because both teams play Notre Dame down the road. So it's just convenient to get that one out of the way to even things out. And then after that, they go to Qualcomm Stadium to go at San Diego State. That's another talented team. So, you know, right after week one, you know, you're going to hit the hit the gauntlet right away with potentially USC, San Diego State for sure. And then you get in a conference play with probably UW, UCLA early on as well. So it makes a lot of sense from Stanford's perspective. They can get that game a week earlier and to play in Australia that's just a cool opportunity for the players you know we talked about Solomon Thomas and the connection he has I think just in general it's it, that would be a pretty cool moment I have no idea what the crowd would be like I'm not sure what it was like for the Cal game probably wasn't great but you know that's not a deal breaker for this team as, <laughs> as we know yeah and I mean the other thing that this is probably not anywhere near the top of their minds but Stanford is pretty much as progressive as it gets from recruiting football players outside the U.S. You've got a guy like Thomas Schaefer who's coming over from Europe and one of the redshirt freshmen who didn't play this year. I mean, you know, maybe they're just dipping their toe in the water in Australia. They're obviously 
football is a big sport in Australia. You see, especially in the punting game oh, yeah. in the U.S., there's a lot of Australian-style punters and kind of the, the rugby football kind of almost hybrid that they have that they play down under. So, you know, dipping the toe in the water of the recruiting pool, getting the name out there, spreading the word a little bit. Who knows? Maybe, you know, 10 years down the line, you're starting a couple Australian players uh, on the Stanford starting football team. Who, who knows? Maybe this is just a good little little start for that. Yeah, maybe. And it's going to be going to be fun for for KZSU to presumably cover that maybe whoever's in charge next year of managing that budget is going to have a great time getting down to Australia. And like you said, it's I don't know if it's going to pay dividends in recruiting now, but if it just popularizes the sport and leads to more Australian players or people interested in football, you know, 10 years down the road, then that's that's still a victory and it's going to be like I said, just just an interesting way to start the season. You know, change it up a little bit. I I um, probably don't have this right, but I think in the 80s, Stanford played a bowl game in Tokyo. That's probably the last time they played a football game on foreign soil. So it's going to be fun for them to make that trek again. I only know that fact because... Uh, uh, Dr. Dement in Sleep and Dreams told the story of he consulted with the team on how to adjust their sleep cycle so they wouldn't be jet lagged, and then they went out and killed whoever they were playing in Japan. So when it comes to when it comes to getting ready too, Stanford, they've got the right minds. So will be fun. Yeah, that'll be a good way to do it. Before, obviously, that they go down under to play the season opener, they've got one more football game left. That's the Sun Bowl, or as I should say, the Hyundai Sun Bowl, uh, down in El Paso, Texas. I don't think you need to say that. (laughs) I think that'll be the only time I say that for the next two weeks. Uh, That game's December 30th. It'll be here on KZSU or there on KZSU, I guess, (laughs) considering you're not listening to this on that. Uh, at 11 a.m. Pacific time, so you can wake up nice and early on, what's that, a Friday, I believe, and enjoy your Friday morning with a little Stanford football, and let's dive into that game a little bit. Stanford taking on the University of North Carolina, the Tar Heels, coming off a bit of a letdown season this year after last year's incredible run in which they went undefeated in ACC play, lost a heartbreaker to Clemson in the ACC championship game, and then in a forgettable game for them, lost to Baylor in their bowl game, uh, in which there might be a little foreshadowing for this year, I think. We can get into that a little bit. What are your initial thoughts about taking on the Tar Heels, Vion? I said before the bowl selection process that all I think Stanford really needs out of this bowl game is just a quality opponent. They need a team with you know good defense, well-coached, some team that will challenge them. Because ever since Keller Chris took over the starting job, we haven't seen Stanford truly challenge. The caliber of defenses just took a nosedive. Arizona, Oregon, Cal, Rice... Uh, and I'm forgetting a team in there, I think, uh, Oregon State. State. And that's just uh, that's just pretty much the bottom rung of the Pac-12. You, it was Stanford's schedule. We talked about how front-loaded it was. So really what I was looking for was Stanford just getting a good matchup. And I think North Carolina fits that bill. You're not going to get you know, too too much better at this point just be considering how low Stanford was in the in the tier selection for these bulls but North Carolina they've got some they've got some great players you know Larry Fedora runs a good program yes they had a disappointing season but you look at the way their season went they had some great wins in there they destroyed Florida State in a game earlier this year I shouldn't say destroyed 37-35 but they played well in that game in Tallahassee and then on top of that they beat Pittsburgh 
things really just went south for them in the second half of the season after they got blown out by Virginia Tech, then they ended up losing to Duke, which you know they're not happy about, and North Carolina State. So they went, they kind of faded down the stretch, but you know they have the talent to compete. They went down and got that signature win against Florida State. So overall, I think this is a team that is equipped to give Stanford a test, and that's really all you could ask for, both from an entertainment perspective and both as somebody who follows this program, and you want to see exactly, you know, what do they have at quarterback? What do they have at offense? Have they really, you know, taken those strides so you can build that momentum going into next season and just so you have some clarity at a lot of these positions? Yeah, I mean, North Carolina certainly brings a challenge, and I think for them it obviously has to start with the passing game and Mitch Trubisky, who's coming off a heck of a year for them in his first year as a starter, replacing Marquise Williams, threw for 28 touchdowns and four interceptions on the year, threw for almost 3,500 yards, just a very, very efficient year for him. And he's a guy that's being talked about if he declares for the NFL draft as being potentially the first quarterback taken in that NFL draft. Granted, it's not as, you know, a first overall type pick, most likely, but he has had a very, very good season for the Tar Heels. Yeah, that 28 touchdowns to four interception ratio, that is pretty impressive. That means you are taking care of the ball. And on top of that, too, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see Stanford go back to El Paso. That was where they first went to a bowl game when they started this school record streak of eight straight bowl games. That was back in 2009 when they took on the Oklahoma Sooners. Andrew Luck broke his finger, so he did not play in that game. That was the last start for current quarterbacks coach Tavita Pritchard. So full circle all around as Coach Pritchard goes from playing at quarterback last time the Sun Bowl to now coaching up the quarterbacks down there in El Paso. So that's a bit of a cool story too. Stanford going a bit full circle and just continuing this unprecedented streak of going to bowl games. You know, for us, it just seems unthinkable to think that Stanford wouldn't be playing December, January football. But for a long time, you know, getting getting to that six win mark was considered a huge deal. Yeah, and that's that's also the longest bowl streak in the Pac-12 that's currently active right now. No one else has been able to match that, especially with Oregon not making a bowl this year in their disaster season. And that's also serves as a nice reminder for what can happen very, very quickly for a team, even you know that felt very comfortable, that felt like they were always going to be playing December and January football. That can change quickly. So even in a year where you know some Stanford fans might be not interested because it's not the Rose Bowl, it's it's certainly worth paying attention if only because it's Christian McCaffrey's last game, but also because this should be a fun matchup, and it goes beyond Trubisky at quarterback. They've got Ryan Switzer, who's one of the better receivers in the country. He had a a 1,000-yard season for them. Bug Howard, outside of having an excellent name, also had almost 800 receiving yards and led the team in receiving touchdowns. It's a team with depth at the receiver position, and they've got a couple of good running backs as well. Yeah, Elijah Hood, for example, he's a talented player. The one downside, though, we, we talked about how, you know, this the Tar Heels could test Stanford. They are also a bottom 100 rush defense. So Stanford will close the season with six straight bottom 100 rush defenses. So maybe maybe they won't have to put as much on Keller Christ as as we might have initially thought. And Christian McCaffrey playing his last game in a Stanford uniform, look out. That could be a matchup he wins pretty decisively and leads the way for Stanford um, in that one. 
Yeah, I think you would have to be surprised if Stanford tries to throw the ball very much in this game because this just lines up so perfectly for them. The past couple of weeks, they've played teams that don't have good run defenses but also don't have good pass defenses, so Stanford can do a little bit of both. UNC's pass defense is actually very, very good. It's a very talented group that does not give up a lot through the air. The one really weird stat about the North Carolina pass defense is their number of interceptions this year. That's one. As in one interception that they have this entire season. That's easily dead last in the FBS. The next lowest team has three interceptions on the season. Yeah, that's fluky. That's that's weird. And it's especially fluky because it's a good passing defense. It's not like it's a bad group. It's it's a very good pass defense that somehow has only picked the ball off one time, which is incredible. And also that interception was against the Citadel. Uh, who, <laughs> who who does not throw the ball very often for eight one times, yeah. I believe, in that game and rushed for like 350 yards but got blown out. That was a weird game because the Citadel outgained UNC like 370 to 350 but lost by 34 points. And that was that <laughs> UNC got their only interception against the team that threw the fewest passes against them. So don't let that one interception fool you because this is a good North Carolina pass defense that it's going to be a little bit difficult for Stanford to throw on. Um, they've got a very talented secondary. They don't do a great job of pressuring the quarterback, though, which just seems like it's going to hurt them because that's where you can get Stanford. If you can force Stanford into second down and long, third down and long with sacks, which Stanford is very easy to pressure, then you can start forcing them to throw the ball. But I just don't know if North Carolina lines up to do that. Yeah, that's what UW and Wazoo did that gave them so much success against Stanford, especially Washington. They would rush three, maybe four, and just get to the quarterback with these. That's how you can really, as you said, you know, put Stanford on their heels and make them rethink the game plan a little bit. If you let Stanford do what they want to do, they can run their game plan, run the ball when they want, take their passing shots selectively, and when they feel the timing is right on their terms, they're a tough team to beat offensively. This year, you know, the numbers-wise, numbers wise, the offense wasn't great, but when plan A, when Stanford's offense is working, when plan A is executing the way they want it to. They're you know as good of an offense as anybody. Where they get into trouble is where you're able to shut that down initially. But and it seems like you know a lot can happen these three weeks of bowl preparation. But it seems like right now with what we've seen, the Tar Heels don't match up as well to stop what Stanford likes to do. Yeah, and as for as maligned as this Stanford offensive line has been this year, they're still excellent, excellent in run blocking. I mean, this is a Stanford team that did a very good job, rushed for over 200 yards a game this year. If you look at Bill Connolly, who writes for SB Nations, he's kind of advanced the standard down line yards per carry, which is basically a measure of how much the offensive line is doing. Stanford is eighth in the country in that metric. They can run the ball, and... They certainly have struggled in pass protection. There's no doubt there. They're arguably the worst pass protecting unit in the Pac-12 and probably one of the worst in Power 5. But it just doesn't seem like North Carolina is going to be able to stop the run. So that then the question for me becomes, can North Carolina jump out to an early lead through the passing game and force Stanford to play from behind? Because that's where things are going to get difficult. Like you said, that's exactly what Washington and Wazoo did. They got out to the early leads. Stanford had to throw the ball a little bit more, and they just couldn't get anything going. Yeah, and with the talented quarterback that they have, you figure that they have a shot to make something happen. I when Stanford played Cal in the big game, I said um, when we were talking before the game that you know the Bears have an explosive offense and a great quarterback. They could you know jump out to an early lead and maybe cause some trouble. And you know, lo and behold, the very first play they run, <laughs> Chad Hansen takes it to the house. Didn't think it would happen that soon. 
In that game, Stanford recovered very gracefully. Did they methodically march down the field? Keller Christ had that great keeper that he was able to knock into the end zone. And then from there, you know, they were still down um, for most of that first quarter, I think, but they were able to fight back. In this game, you know, it could be a similar sort of narrative, except for the Tar Heels to hold on, they're going to have to do a better job than the Bears of holding on to that lead. Because Stanford, even though they fell down early, they didn't look rattled at all. They didn't abandon the game plan. I think you really have to, you know, stay with the the Cardinal for a whole half before, you know, you really see the coaching staff start thinking about, you know, are we in trouble at this point? Yeah, they're not only going to have to score that opening touchdown, they're going to have to score that touchdown, <laughs> get a stop, and then score again. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Like, there's going to need to be a two or a three possession lead before Stanford really is going to think about not running the ball because they know they're going to be able to run the ball against this North Carolina team. The other interesting thing about these two offenses, both of them work very, very slowly. They're two of the slowest working offenses in football. The difference is that Stanford does that when they're running the ball a lot. North Carolina does that while passing the ball a lot. So North Carolina is dead last in time of possession, while Stanford is something in the top 20 in time of possession. So I think I can guarantee in this game that Stanford will win the time of possession battle. UNC's numbers in that are like actually incredible how little time they spend with the ball. Stanford is 18th in the country at 32 minutes and 48 seconds. So, you know, a couple extra minutes. Sounds about right. North Carolina is averaging 24 minutes of possession, which means their opponent (laughs) is averaging 36 minutes of possession, which is just unbelievably low number for them. In comparison, Wisconsin, who is number one, is only averaging 35 and a half minutes of possession this season. So... North Carolina is going to throw the ball a lot. They're not going to run it very much, but they don't run a lot of plays. They kind of work pretty slowly. They take their time, and I think we can pretty much lock it up now that Stanford will control Thomas' possession. The one place where this game could get interesting for North Carolina, and I think this is what they're going to need if they're going to get out to that early lead and limit Stanford's run game, is special teams. And North Carolina has some... Very dynamic guys on special teams. TJ Logan, who's kind of their backup running back to Elijah Hood, but has over 2,000 yards in his North Carolina career, averages over 30 yards per kickoff return. UNC as a team has run back two kickoffs for touchdowns this year. They can get an explosive play in the kick return game. And for those of you hoping for another Christian McCaffrey punt return touchdown, it's not going to happen against North Carolina. Eight punts have been tried to return against the North Carolina Tar Heels punt return unit. Those eight punts have totaled six return yards. Wow, that is some good coverage and some good some good punting too. If only eight punts have been returned all season long, that means that whole unit is doing something right. Though to push back a little bit, how many of those previous punts were returned by Christian McCaffrey? So <laughs> very fair. I I feel like you know, given that this is his last game, if he has an opportunity, he'll take it and. You know, if if I'm gonna put money on anybody making a couple people miss and getting out in space, like who better to bet on? So, I'll I'll agree with you. It's unlikely, but I think just as a fan, you know, who likes to see McCaffrey do special things, you know, you hope he gets get that he gets that one sliver of opportunity, and we'll see if he can do something with it. That's a really interesting point. Going back to the time of possession question. I think that's interesting too. It's such a stark contrast to last season in the Rose Bowl, where Stanford and Iowa were two of the leaders in time of possession in the nation, they hog the ball each. And we were wondering how that would play out. Would the game, you know, last 45 minutes just because they were just <laughs> both run the ball over and over? As it turns out, Iowa won the time of possession something like 33 minutes to 27 minutes just because Stanford just blew them out. And it was 
it was not even an issue. Stanford didn't need to hold the ball to score. So that kind of took the air out of that intrigue. But this one's going to be interesting, too. Stanford's no stranger to playing teams that don't hold the ball for very long. You know, those great Oregon teams of a few years ago. Washington State this year, too. Though the Cougars did emerge with that running game. At the, at the end of the day, it's not going to be something that surprises Stanford. They're very used to being the team that just holds on the ball while the other side tries to strike quickly with a lot of passes. We'll be very fascinating to see how this one plays out, though. How you know an ACC style of offense, I guess, compares to what Stanford's used to seeing out on the West Coast with those air raid spread type attacks. Yeah, I think you could see this be very similar to the the Oregon game for Stanford. Like, the, or not the Oregon game this year, but the Oregon offense, I should say. <laughs> North Carolina is significantly better than Oregon. Don't, <laughs> Serious don't shade, that. Nikki Sullivan. <laughs> but I think those are fairly similar teams. Good quarterback, a lot of good receivers, but still talented running backs. It's not the air rate of old. Or maybe Washington State this year is a nice comparison, too, with some playmakers on defense. Surprisingly good defense, I think, for a lot of people. Some talented running back, but also a really good throwing team. Those are reasonable comparisons, I think. Oregon of a couple years ago, or Washington State this year, uh, of teams that are just going to throw the ball a lot and and you know put some pressure on the Stanford secondary that is held up very nicely so far this season. That has shut down a lot of opposing uh, passing attacks in this one. And if you look at kind of the overall markers for this game, everyone seems to think it's going to be pretty close. Uh, I think. Mentioned Bill Connolly earlier. He has them at, I believe, 20 and 21 in S&P+. I think ESPN's FPI has these teams very, very similar. Everyone seems to think that this is going to be a very close game. And it seems like just given what we've been talking about, Stanford has a big advantage in the running game, but North Carolina's strength is the passing game. And how are they going to do against a very good Cardinal pass defense? That's a great question, especially because Quentin Meeks, with his time off, should get fully healthy. He wore that big clunky knee brace, and you could tell no everyone on the coaching staff, just including Quentin, they flat out denied it, saying, "You know, I'm perfectly okay. I I, I doubt it. I I think he was, you know, playing through uh, some pain and not being 100. percent He should be good to go. I would think for this bowl game. So you have your true number one guy in Quentin Meeks, who should be ready to go. Elijah Holder is out, unfortunately. He's not. We're not going to see him again until next season or spring ball, I should say. But Frank Buncombe, Terrence Alexander, they could slide in there on that other spot. Stanford's pass defense really came together this season. Justin Reed, I think, has a big part of that with his emergence and what he was able to do for this team. They've got their work cut out for them. I think this is a matchup that I would slightly favor them in, though, just because... I think they've got the best of the business in Dwayne Aquina coaching them up, and they seem to be peaking at the right time. Again, got to adjust for the quality of competition and all that, but the passing offenses they faced uh, in the second half of the season, you know, weren't all bad. Cal, for example, is incredibly good, and yes, they gave up, you know, over 30 points in that one, but, you know, that game was pretty much over in by the fourth quarter, so a lot to take away there. I'm going to say... Stanford probably wins that matchup, but I would not be surprised if they give up a couple of big plays just because, you know, the Tar Heels can take advantage of those. That's what they do. They, you know, they press and they press. And as Dallas Lloyd said, you know, all it takes is you looking bad for one second to look really bad, you know, on national TV. So I I, I think there's a chance that they could strike early. I definitely, you know, think North Carolina could make this a game. But if I had to just pick who's going to win that matchup, I would say Stanford. 
Yeah, and at the very least, it probably grades out as as a draw for both teams. Yeah. Just th- those are both strengths for these two teams. And UNC is a good running team. They just don't run the ball a lot. They've got some talented guys. You know, you mentioned Elijah Hood, TJ Logan. Hood had almost 1,000 yards this season, and Logan was not far behind. He had about 600 yards, and they both averaged almost six yards a carry. It's just not something that UNC runs that much. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think you're terrified of Elijah Hood in the way that you're that UNC is scared of Christian McCaffrey. He's still a very good back, don't get me wrong, but it, it's more of kind of a, a solid middle-of-the-road ACC back that, you know, he's not a Dalvin Cook for Florida State or something right. like that that you're going up against. And Stanford's run defense, especially given that Solomon Thomas and Harrison Phillips are also going to be 100% healthy, it, that's a tough one to run on. I mean, most of the success that other teams have had running the football has come when those guys are out of the game for either a break, it's late in the game, or a brief injury. I have a hard time seeing UNC building up much success running the football against Stanford's front seven. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite parts of bowl season is with the time off the teams get, you see guys you know get fully healthy and just get over those uh, those bumps and bruises and that they were playing with all season long. And especially for Stanford, that can be a huge boost because you know. At the defensive line position, we talked so much before the season about they finally had the six-man rotation they were coveting. It really just boiled down to a two-man rotation at the end of the day. <laughs> you know, Wadi gets in there and makes a few plays. Dylan Jackson had some nice plays. Even you know someone like Eric Cotton can come in there and you know do some great things from time to time. But at the end of the day, you know you want those two guys, Thomas and Phillips, out there because that's when your defense is at its best. And if they're fully healthy, that just plays into Stanford's hands and the reason why Stanford can get away with playing you know those two defensive linemen for most of a game is one they've got you know someone like Alfieri and Calumbay who can also come up and help and also it makes a huge difference having Zach Hoffpower who could play nickel because Hoffpower is one of the best tackling safeties slash you know nickels that you see out there he you know doesn't just make plays in coverage he is willing to go up and stop the run and support there so with the fact that they have Hoffpower they can feel even more comfortable doing that. That's why, you know, tying back to our discussion at the beginning, it's going to be very, very intriguing to see what Stanford does if Thomas decides to leave because they won't have Hoff power there either who can, you know, help you get away with running those two down linemen sets a lot of the time. So this is the last chance we're going to see, you know, a lot of those guys do their thing. Hoff power, Lloyd, um, Jordan Watkins also, so it's going to be a nice hurrah for that defense too. We talked about the offensive players, you know, getting their last shot here, but same for the defense. And I expect, even if it is, you know, it's not the Rose Bowl, I expect them to be motivated just the same because, you know, it's football once again, and it's your last opportunity as a college football player for several of these guys. Yeah, absolutely. And for all the, the hate that Zach Hoffpower has gotten, he's kind of much maligned among Stanford fans because I think they see mostly when he gets beat in pass coverage. That's the most obvious thing. Yeah, it's 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 glaring, right? That goes back exactly. to our earlier point. Like when you get beat, it's like everyone sees it. Yeah. Yeah. But but he is so solid in the run game, and that's why he's still out there playing. Stanford's coaches obviously see when Zach Hoffpower is getting beat over and over again. They're not blind to that, <laughs> and they're not just throwing him back out there because there aren't potentially like better options in pass defense. Hoffpower might not be as good as someone like Ben Edwards or Justin Reed maybe in the pass coverage, but what he does for Stanford in the run game cannot be underrated for Stanford. I want to spend a second talking on the other side of the ball about a fifth-year senior who is done after this that has had a very quiet season, and when it hasn't been quiet, it's usually not for the good reasons because he's dropping the ball. That's Michael Rector, 
What are your thoughts on Rector, both in this game, but also briefly his future beyond this? I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Yeah, he he was you know out the door last year, and then as he says, he just woke up two days before his he was planning on announcing and just decided to come back. He had an interesting you know season. He had those couple touchdowns early on. And then he just kind of fell off the map. And a lot of that yeah, you can attribute to Stanford's quarterback struggles and the fact that they weren't getting the pass protection they needed. So he definitely had a season that you'd have to consider a disappointment for the most part, even though it did have some moments. I think he could have a nice game in the Sun Bowl just because Stanford, they love scripting those plays when they've got those two or three weeks off to think. And with his speed, I think they could dial up some trick plays or some nice wrinkles that utilize that. And he did score twice in the Rose Bowl last season, including on the fake fumble play, for example. So he's no stranger to being involved in, you know, fun plays like that. I'm going to say Michael Rector, you know, goes out with a touchdown. And as for his long-term prospects, I think, you know, he could do very well in the NFL draft because he is really approaching world-class speed. That's what the coaching staff says. You alluded to Al Davis earlier. Al Davis may be <laughs> gone, but I think somebody is going to see the time he runs at at the combine or pro day and just, you know, their draws are going to drop and he's going to go maybe like third or fourth round. It's very early to say. I'm not an expert in this stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about, but that just feels right to me. I also said Devin Kajus would go with the third or fourth round last year, and he went undrafted, <laughs> so it shows you what I know. But I think he's going to run some amazing time, and that's going to draw a lot of attention. He, You haven't really gotten the chance to see it in action because he doesn't have the ball in his hands that much because he didn't have a whole lot of catches this year. But you know, make no mistake about it, he's got you know some serious wheels behind him. There's certainly talent there. It's just if it all comes together in the right way. And I think yeah. he's gonna, to get a shot with an NFL team, he's going to have to run something very good in the combine, at least if he wants to get drafted. He could still get, you know, be an undrafted free agent if he runs something more in the mid to high four four threes. But I think what he's probably shooting for is, you know, four three flat or high four twos. Yeah, he wants to go sub four three. There's no doubt about it. Will he be able to do it? I don't know. I, I have a feeling he... Everyone says he can do it. We haven't seen it, you know, because we don't get to watch them, you know, run in training camp when they time it. But the rumor is he's run four two eight. So, so if he does that, yeah, he's going to get drafted. Yeah. Yeah. That, that <laughs> absolutely gets into the conversation. At the very least, you have to think as a late round pick, someone's going to see that. Someone's going to see. He's shown talent the last two years. He's absolutely shown flashes. Inconsistency is probably his biggest issue at this point. But he's he's shown the ability, and certainly would not be surprised to see him put up a, a touchdown as he goes out in his final Stanford game yeah, in the and, Sun Bowl. And I think I have this right. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think uh, regardless of what happens in the Sun Bowl, unless like some crazy numbers emerge, he will finish his career as the school leader in yards per catch, which is pretty cool. I think if he had like 50 catches for one yard each, maybe <laughs> maybe he would lose that designation, but it doesn't seem likely. <laughs> that, seems, that seems very unlikely. Uh, if Stanford throws the ball 50 times, I think we'd all be pretty shocked, unless yeah. it's a octuple overtime game or something like that. I think we've, we've hit on a lot of the points that I think people are probably most interested in leading into the Sun Bowl, so let's begin to start to think about what the heck is going to happen in this game. Part of that probably depends on you know who's playing for Stanford. Tabwata, Casey Tucker, a couple guys that yeah, unclear if they're going to be available for this one. And where do you even put Casey Tucker at this point? Right, you're you're not going to kick David Bright out of the starting lineup, I think. And it's clear that Casey prefers the right side to the left side. So 
maybe maybe it's a battle between him and A.T. Hall for the left spot. I don't know. That's a that's another interesting question. In yeah. There. Yeah, there's there's lots of things it seems to keep an eye out for in this game. You know, there's a lot to be learned from Stanford and that's one other thing that I think is a difference in somewhat between these two teams is probably the mindset coming into this game. For Stanford, they're kind of on a roll finishing the season. They have a chance to finish with a 10-win season. Another just great season for the program even if it's not the same level as last year it could still be a very quality season they could finish strong unc on the other hand they have done the opposite of finish strong their last three games they lose two rivalry games to duke and north carolina state a win against the citadel sandwiched in there just no one's getting excited about that the citadel is their rice right now (laughs) it's just not it's something that you're supposed to win and it's not supposed to be very interesting so they're probably coming in a little flat they definitely have more of a letdown than last year. Stanford has been more of the consistently excellent program. North Carolina has been consistently a good program for the last few years. And last year kind of felt like that was their chance. That was their chance to make the playoff, to make some noise in that conversation. And now they're kind of back to being, you know, one of the teams that loses four games a year roughly and puts together a nice year. So this has to be a bit of a letdown for them. And who knows what the teams are going to be, what the mindset is going to be going into the bowl game. This could be totally flipped. We are obviously not in either locker room, but you have to think it's harder for North Carolina to get up for this game with the same excitement as it is for Stanford. Yeah, potentially, especially with the way their their season ended. And talking about their ACC championship game appearance against Clemson last year, Stanford fans might remember that for rooting super hard for North Carolina because if UNC had pulled that one off, Stanford might have gone to the playoff who knows it definitely would have been a possibility Stanford in recent years I just you know think back to the past few seasons they have come out strong in bowl games they haven't won them all but they've looked good you know granted it's pretty easy to get up in the morning if you're going to go play in the Rose Bowl but even in the Foster Farms Bowl that that season 2014 they you know played well in that game and they were motivated and they were on a high note after finishing the regular season strong it could be a similar sort of narrative here where Stanford was able to go out and you know get the wins they needed at the end of the season and I think that motivation of getting to that 10th win I think that's real I think that's something that this team cares about and that they're going to try to strive for because you know, they, they always talk about, you know, tangible evidence of a job well done, like a 10-win season. That is good stuff, and that they're going to finish with the top 15 ranking if they pull it off. I have no doubt that Stanford um, will be ready in the motivation department. You know, I have no doubt that the Tar Heels are going to uh, come to play, too, because knocking off a top 20 opponent, that would be a nice, strong way to close your season. And I don't, so I don't, I don't think there's any reason to, you know, not prepare as as you would otherwise when you've got this opportunity ahead of you. So I expect that to be a non-issue, really. I expect both teams to to come out and be ready to go in this game. The question is, how are they going to um, match up with one another? I think we've addressed that, and I think you know there are some areas that the Tar Heels you know might have a bit of an edge, but overall this seems like this is a game that, with the way Stanford played to close out the season, that they should be in control of. And you think certainly think there has to still be a sour taste in North Carolina's mouth from last year's bowl game against Baylor and what was obviously going to be a letdown ga- or a potential letdown game for them after the ACC championship. That's when they took on Baylor and gave up 645 rushing yards Goodness. on what might be even more impressive, 84 carries. Baylor had 84 rush attempts in one game. I do remember that now. That's is absurd, and and that means they ran more than eighty four plays in that game. Just yeah, that's what happens when you don't hold on to the ball very much. You hand the ball to the other team, and they can 
just run at will. So yeah, you you would think that that's something that's still on the minds of a lot of these players who are still there and Coach Fedora is still there at the time. And keep in mind also, this is, you know, Baylor we're talking about. They were dealing with their own issues all throughout, you know, the end of last year. So for for North Carolina to lay an egg in that game, I'm sure, I'm sure that's on their mind in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, they threw, they had 18 pass attempts for 111 yards and one interception. So it wasn't like they had this dangerous passing game. This was, I believe, the time where kind of Lynx Hawthorne was sharing the quarterbacking duties, the, the running back who was, they were basically just running a wildcat offense most of the time at that point. Their nominal quarterback was not really a quarterback. Chris Johnson, uh, who is, who is currently... not a, a tight end at Houston. <laughs> exactly. So I think. Mean, that, that kind of tells you what you need to know about what the quarterback situation for Baylor was at that time. So the, I think there's always the chance that something similar happens, but there's no way North Carolina wants to just get run over again in this game. They that That's, that's just not going to be an option for them right now. And I, I agree. I don't think it's going to be a big difference between the teams, but it seems like it's at least a possibility. Yeah, for sure. In that in. It's going to be fun for Stanford to play another ACC opponent. I guess Stanford, they've, Stanford's had a very Big Ten flavor in recent years with all those Rose Bowl appearances. I think this is Stanford's first opponent uh, that they're facing uh, from North Carolina since they uh, played Wake Forest and Duke back in like 2011, 2012. This is the first time they're playing UNC since uh, the 1997-1998 seasons where they had a home-and-home going on. Tar Heels came to Stanford Stadium in 98. Stanford went to Chapel Hill in 97. So been a little while i think it'll be it'll be a fun game from a uniform combo perspective should be should be cool i think you know that red versus that carolina blue should be fun too i think overall if uh even if um you know you're not as pumped about this game as say a rose bowl or a college football playoff game i think this this one should still be fun for a lot of those reasons just because it's it's a quality opponent it's a game stanford in theory should handle which is you know a nice little sweetener too in that in that deal and should be just a chance to not only send off Christian McCaffrey and the seniors but also see what you got in terms of the guys who are going to be your foundation for next year yeah the only two words that anyone should need to watch this game are Christian and McCaffrey that yeah. that should be enough at this point <laughs> his last chance in a college uniform I mean that should be enough whether or not you're a Stanford fan or a North Carolina fan <laughs> if you're a North Carolina fan it might be a an excuse to not watch parts of it when he has this ball in his hands but I mean, that should be enough, and it still could be a 10-win season for Stanford. That's incredible for them. That's I mean, that's a great finish to this year, a lot of quality wins. And North Carolina would absolutely be a quality win to finish off the season. This is a North Carolina team that was kind of bouncing around the back end of the top 25 for most of the year, kind of in and out after some wins and some losses, losing to Georgia in the opener, then yeah. losing to Virginia Tech while playing in a hurricane. And then, you know, obviously the slow finish to the season, but both of those games were close to North Carolina State and Duke. So it's not like they had any really bad losses. The only blowout was to Virginia Tech, and that was, again, a game essentially played in the middle of a hurricane. So for a team where that, that strength is a passing offense, you're obviously going to struggle in that type of win. So it's definitely a good UNC team and one that I think you have to feel good about beating if Stanford can do that. Yeah, exactly. You you If you come prepared and you play well in that game— lot to be proud of in that one you know this is this is a team that maybe didn't finish as high in the ACC this year but is has emerged as a major player in that conference so it's it's a win over a you know major conference opponent you know and 
and that's a lot to be to hang your hat on if they can pull it off of course you know they've they've got to go out there and execute on December 30th all right so let's let's get down into this one a little bit vihan as always we've got to have a hot take we're going to do our prediction, and I want one more thing from you when we get to it. You, you can have some time to think of this. I want to know what trick play Stanford is going to run. And just to be clear, we both have been on the radio for Stanford. We haven't actually seen their plays. We're not pulling a Wake Forest and actually sharing their play calls. Oh, so if you're a North Carolina fan who's listening, this is not r- real. We, we don't know what trick play they're going to run. This is a guess. That's an important distinction in these Wake Forest, Wakey Leaks era right now. <laughs> We yeah we uh, we have to make that distinction now. I mean, and even if we did know the plays, I don't think there's any way we could talk about it on this recording right now without you know David Shaw just bursting through the door and just like <laughs> grabbing us by the throat. Stanford is, I don't know how other teams operate. Stanford feels extra secretive to me, so I'm sure they wouldn't be appreciative of that. <laughs> any any yeah, and like this Wake Forest thing, that's a Stanford football nightmare right there. You know I. And it's crazy to think about. That'll be like, yeah, if Todd Husack was a, was a mole for Oregon or Washington, it's just you know, crazy times. Anyway, yeah, I this puts me in a bit of a tough spot because my hot take was going to involve a trick play. I think that's but, that's fine. But then. That, I, I can amend it. I can amend it. I, I'll uh, those I'll, those can fit I'll together. I'll give the people what they want. I'll, I'll try to throw some other things out there. All right, here's here's a hot take for you. This is this is absurd. I I can't believe I'm saying this, but it, I mean, actually, it's fine. It's so Christian McCaffrey, he's at uh, right now. Let me let me find it. I just had it up. Uh, three thousand nine hundred and fifteen career rushing yards. The Stanford school record is Stephon Taylor, four thousand three hundred. You know, I think that is in the range. It's very wow. unlikely, I think. But you know, hear me out on this one. Christian McCaffrey, he owns the two single-game school rushing records. He had 284 against Cal, something like that, and he had 252 against UCLA last year. In both of those games, he got pulled in the third quarter. He did. He got over 250 yards twice rushing without playing most of the third quarter and all of the fourth quarter in each of those occasions. If he is having one of those days this time around— this is his last game. I feel like you leave him in there and just let him, you know, go for the record. I again, it's, it's a hot take for a reason. I feel like it's, he's not going to approach anywhere near that number. And if he does, I think Stanford's going to be so far ahead that they probably wouldn't leave him in the game. But if the right circumstances just kind of come together, kind of like uh, how Michael Peterson said in Berkeley in that Cal game, he was he said, "Yeah, I hope Cal scores so they keep McCaffrey in the game so he can get to three hundred, <laughs> maybe four hundred. Maybe a similar sort of storyline could play out here. I think Christian McCaffrey, I would say outside shot, breaks the the school career rushing record, and he would do it really in two seasons. He only had three hundred rushing yards as a freshman. So he's not going to play his senior season as we've made clear in this podcast. So if he were to do it, would be hats off to him. That would be absurd. At any rate, he's going to come very close. He will be a close number two. I think that's wow. guaranteed. So. Anyway, yeah, it's that's that's sufficiently hot sufficiently for hot. You're, for everyone, I think. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that that's yeah, I, that's a hot take. It's it's absurd, I know, but if anyone can do it, it's number 5. I will say that. All right. My hot take um is that 
obviously this is the last game for a number of players. Most importantly, this is the last game for the seniors and the redshirt seniors who have been with this team for five years. Yep. So they're going to go out strong with not one of them scoring, not two of them scoring, but three of them will score in this game. One of those will be Conrad Ukrapina, who will, I am confident, either <laughs> kick an extra point or kick a field Unless goal. Unless Stanford is shut out. <laughs> Unless Stanford is shut out, in which case... This will be a very bad prediction. Yeah. Or like the Washington game where they <laughs> yes. went <for> two. <laughs> that's, that's also possible. I think that is unlikely. So maybe one of them isn't Ukrapina. I think that's likely one of them. Other than that, Stanford has pretty much one other fifth-year senior on offense. That's Michael Rector. I'm saying one other fifth-year senior is scoring a touchdown in this game. I guess a safety I would consider counting, but I'm, I'm going. I'm thinking touchdown. Maybe it's Johnny Casper's on the fumble recovery in the end zone or the end around. We saw that with Pitt running that play. Maybe it's uh, Nora Davis. Maybe it's Zach Hoffpower, who I'm going to count as a fifth-year senior because he didn't wasn't really with the football team for the five years, but I'm going to count his playing baseball as a year. Three of those guys are scoring in this game for Stanford. It means probably one of those has to be defensive. Maybe it's Nor Davis picking off the pass and returning it into the end zone. Maybe it's a guy like Luke Kamatule, strip sack from Big Luke. I, I would be a huge fan of a Luke Kamatule or Jordan Watkins strip sack touchdown. Or, or you know, Waddy with the strip, Luke with the return. I'm saying it. You're going to see multiple fifth-year seniors score touchdowns in this game for Stanford. I like it. That's both... Uh... You know, sufficiently hot and like very positive. You know, you're, you know, giving some. Uh, you're hoping that the guys who've been around and grinded for four and five years go out on the on a right note. So I like that. That's 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 a good one. In terms of trick plays, I've been I've been thinking about that one. I was going to originally go this direction for a hot take, but I will say. So here we go. I think. McCaffrey throws a pass in this game. I think, why not? He's going to go out, have him throw the ball one more time. And I think we're going to see either Jay Tyler or Trent Irwin also throw the ball in this one. Trent Irwin, we've all we've already seen him throw. <laughs> wasn't wasn't great. Didn't like the results too much. He, and it was in the UCLA game. He was looking for Ryan Burns downfield. And as, as he told me afterwards, I had made up my mind like to throw that ball, you know, a couple days earlier. So, <laughs> so maybe they don't trust him again. Maybe they do. I think Jay Tyler could be an interesting one. We haven't seen a whole lot of him on the field. You know, he's kind of snuck in there for a couple plays here and there, and he's you know a pretty a pretty small guy, so he can sneak in there and blend in, and you don't really notice him. And but then afterwards, when you look at the play sheet, you see oh, Jay Tyler got a snap in there. But anyway, we know he's got an arm. He played quarterback in high school. Broke a bunch of records at his school, set by Peyton Manning. So, I think if the opportunity presents itself, maybe he launches one. That would be fun. All right. If you watch him in warmups and before the game, he throws a beautiful ball. The question is, how can you set it up so it's not obvious, right? Because yeah. he hasn't played a whole lot this season. But I think Jay Tyler, in general, being somebody who's both you know really shifty guy, um, very athletic, and also has a great arm, he's just like engineered for a great trick place so i hope he's involved in one so i have to agree with you this seems like a very very possible christian mccaffrey throwing attempt game i'm gonna go a step further and th- say that he throws a touchdown to an eligible offensive lineman that's Uh-oh. been the new vogue of the last couple of years both in college football and in the nfl yeah. is to line up your offensive lineman in a weird way and have them throw the ball i think stanford is going to do that and i think one of the big boys on the stanford offensive line is going to catch a touchdown from christian mccaffrey in this game that's the trick play that i would not be surprised if stanford tries we david shaw must have 
an eligible offensive lineman play somewhere in his playbook. It is so deep, given just what we've seen from him. That oh oh yeah, Nick Wilson against Cal, you know, ran the ran that corner out. Kyle Murphy in the 2013 Pac-12 championship ran a post. Like, Stanford in 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 a lot of, in a lot of ways like innovated that they were doing it before any everybody else. So yeah. No doubt. I agree with you. If anyone were to do it at Stanford, but we have never seen them actually throw to one of the big guys. But if anyone were to do it, Christian McCaffrey could be that guy. Right. Christian McCaffrey wants to thank the offensive linemen for blocking for him these last two years, for paving the way for all these rushing yards, for outside chance to approach the school record. He's going to say thank you to one of them by giving him a touchdown in the end zone. I don't know which one yet. I haven't read that deeply into the playbook, <laughs> but one of Stanford's offensive linemen is catching a touchdown would in this be- game. It would be glorious. And, yeah, who knows? Probably, like, I would say, like, a Nick Wilson type. Someone who's who wears the tackle-eligible number, you know, like, the 94, 96, who can go out there and make a play. That would be, yeah. The other thing I wouldn't be surprised is if it was either A.T. Hall or David Bright, and they bring Nick Wilson in, but they just shift the line over a little bit. So it looks like Nick Wilson is the extra offensive lineman who might be eligible, but instead he's actually one of the tackles, and a guy on the other side of the line, whether it's Hall or David Bright, is actually not an offensive lineman, and he's actually the tackle-eligible guy. So that's... Maybe something in there, yeah. but I think it, it's probably got to be one of those guys I'm sure, somehow. I'm sure. I'm sure they'll look into it. <laughs> they got a, they got some time before this next. <laughs> they, game. They, they've got plenty of time to drop that play, and and we'll see if it happens. So let's get down to it. It's time for the last time this year for a prediction of what is happening in this game. Vihan, what's your final score? Stanford, North Carolina. Yeah, this I haven't given a, given a whole lot of thought to it. Not as much as the hot takes, but <laughs> less important is this than the I, hot takes. Obviously, I, I would I would say so. Especially, um, yeah, I especially as someone who can't bet on college football. So <laughs> because I, uh, I I tutor for uh, the athletic the athletics department. <laughs> oh. Speaking of UNC, by the way, <laughs> ah, yes, we... yeah. And, but um, anyway, I can still I can still give a prediction. I think as long as I don't put money down on it. But, <laughs> so I would say Stanford. 38, North Carolina, 21. That's what I'm going to say. I'm, I think Stanford scores some points in this one. I think in particular, the Stanford running game gets going. Christian McCaffrey has a couple of scores. I think Bryce Love gets one in there, and then somebody else scores on some trickeration. So Stanford puts up the points. The defense does holds their own. They give up an early touchdown and then maybe a couple late when the game is out of reach. So I think... Uh, a two-touchdown, two-score margin seems about right to me. I think this game is closer. Despite all we talked about, how it seems like UNC maybe has a couple of small edges and Stanford has one big edge, I think this game is is not going to be easy for Stanford. This is a very good UNC team. I think Stanford wins it 32-26. to I think UNC scores with about a minute left, but Stanford is able to recover the onside kick attempt to seal the deal. So I think UNC makes it close late, but... 250 yards on the ground from Christian McCaffrey and a couple big runs from Keller Christ. I think he'll have a couple scrambles similar to what we saw in that Cal game when he had that miraculous run down the sideline tiptoeing <laughs> along. I think he'll have a couple of nice runs. Stanford won't throw the ball much. They're not going to try and do too much through the air in this game. It just doesn't make sense for them. But I think Stanford holds on late to get that 10-win season and finish off what has been a pretty quality year, especially if you count the beginning of the year as calendar starting on January 1st of 2016 when Stanford won the Rose Bowl. Quality is a good word for it. You, you cannot be 
you know, upset at all. You have to be proud of the way this team would finish the season if they do, in fact, you know, go out there and perform the way that they're capable of uh, in El Paso, for sure. That'll do it for us. Thanks for listening to us all year long. We'll have a couple uh, wrap-up podcasts or two when school resumes in January, bringing you our thoughts on the Sun Bowl, our thoughts on the season, our thoughts on next year, and wrapping up the Stanford football season. But for preview podcasts, this is it. I'd like to thank Vihan as well as Doe and Michael, uh, Josh Nunez, all the guys that have joined us on the podcast at various times this year. The joint production of the Stanford Daily and KZSU. Thanks for listening to the Stanford Football Insider Show.